0: Welcome back, everybody. I am Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. Uh, Here we are wrapping up week eight of working from home, and and it seems like we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel as the coronavirus hospitalizations have been steadily decreasing over the last few days, at least in in Connecticut. Um, In the news, there's been a lot of talk on a state and national level as to how to best open up America uh, and Connecticut again. And so that brings us directly to today's topic, uh, which is uh, which is that that reentry or that that reopening. And so we're very honored and and excited to be joined by Mike Rambos, uh, president and CEO of the Whitney Center. And Mike's here to discuss what his plans are for uh, what he, what he'll call reemergence once the green light is given. So Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us. And I want to jump right in. I know we're in a tight time frame here, but I, I want to level set for our listeners so they know what you guys do at the Whitney Center. If you could take a couple of minutes, let us know kind of the core mission of the Whitney Center and a little bit about sort of pre-pandemic operations and what that looked like and then how it's changed since we got the shelter at home order how that's affected the business, uh, all of your stakeholders, the residents, their families, your employees. Just, just an overview of what, what you've been going through since we uh, got into this craziness.
1: Thanks, Jeff, for uh, for having me. Um, you know, talk about this. I appreciate the invitation. Um, that's a that's a mouthful. I'll try to keep it as <laughs> succinct as I can. Um, <clears throat> so, Whitney Center is a uh, not-for-profit senior living and long-term care community in Hamden. Uh, We have been around for uh, just over 40 years, and we provide uh, senior living um, accommodations through about 240 apartments currently on the campus uh, to roughly uh, 300 residents. Uh, We also have uh, memory support, we have assisted living, and we have a skilled nursing um, health center that accommodates about uh, 59 more uh, residents. In addition to that, we have off-campus services to roughly 60 households um, that live out in the community that get a, um, a menu of services that we, we deliver on campus, but they would um, not have to move here um, to get those services. So the business model is essentially um, a, a, an insurance-like model where, where folks buy in to a contract and they receive services including uh, independent living, uh, memory support, healthcare services, and assisted living or skilled nursing, as well as a bunch of concierge services like housekeeping, maintenance, um, all dining, um, uh, transportation services, and, and so on. And so, it's a full continuing care retirement community is a technical term, or life plan community is a technical term for the business. Um, So our normal operations basically uh, looks like, you know, about 300 staff um, that operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week to furnish all of these services, Um, security, reception. um, We have three dining venues, three restaurants that, that we deliver all of our meals through. Um, and then the, the ongoing healthcare operations, we have a constant um, sort of transportation shuttle service to medical appointments, shopping, all of those kinds of things. So it's a pretty active community. Um, most of our residents are in fact independent. And so they're out and about and we have a very robust um, uh, menu of programs and, and activities. Everything you know, from streaming the, the opera live to, to live, Class concerts every week, to a, lot, a bunch of lectures, um, film, you name it. It's a pretty um, uh, intellectually uh, accomplished community. As um, I would say, seventy percent of our residents are affiliated with Yale University. A lot of former faculty and, and certainly alumni. That that I hope that gives you a good sense of, of the operation. Since uh, we've gone into the um, the shelter in place, which we actually I think started implementing around May, uh, March 13. Um, since we've gone into that mode, we've cut back significantly on our staffing that are here on campus. We didn't furlough anyone, or you know, or, um, or lay anyone off temporarily. We simply um, created teams of staff that um, that have been alternating schedules, and so we're paying folks to be either here on campus delivering services or off campus. Um, on call essentially at home Um, and that that enables us to limit the exposure and contain if we should have a a positive case here so we're continuing to provide all these services Um, however we're not um, doing anything in a congregate setting so all of those um, those activities those programs i mentioned including our dining program are all now in the apartments of of residents so we're doing delivery services in in terms of our meals, uh, groceries, um, all, you name it, we're bringing everything to the apartment, including mail, um, all packages. Um, we've we've organized our our operation to limit the um, the travel um, of every resident outside their apartment.
0: So, so Mike, your response to the pandemic and to the you know stay at home, shelter at home order. For you, it, w- it was really, you know, you had to kind of figure out how to honor the social distancing and all the precautions that were taking, taking it, not just for your employees, but you've got the, the unique situation of your residents as well. And, and not just your residents, but your other, your other um, customers, the folks that you serve at home offsite. So there was really kind of a twofold issue for you uh, being, being in the business that you're in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not many businesses where, where, you know, you sort of live with your customers. Right. And so there's two distinct stakeholder groups to, to, uh, to serve, to keep them. And safe. so when,
0: and so when we talk about reentry, which is really kind of the purpose of this podcast or, or when the, when the shelter at home order is lifted, at least to some degree, you, you, you have to figure out not just, okay, what does that mean for your employees? But what does that mean for, uh, for all of your stakeholders, including the residents and everybody that you serve, that's
1: right. We so it, it's a pretty complex, you know, operation when you have to think about both of those groups at the same time and how 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 those initiatives have to converge.
0: But before we get into that, because I really want to focus on that and your plans for the the we're we're just going to call it reentry or reopening, understanding that you didn't stop operations. You you can't you, you know. Um, you just kind of change the way you do things, but, um, but before we do that quick question, out of curiosity, did, did you did so you had to come up with a sort of a business survival plan. Did that for you include payroll protection loans or, or did you able, were you able to avoid that?
1: No, um, it absolutely included the payroll protection um, program. Okay. We, we, in our nursing home, we limited our uh, census, our outside admissions. Um, so that we would have the capacity to take care of our contract holders. So in addition to the contract holders um, in, in all of our healthcare services, we we have outside external non-contract holder admissions. So we limited that, uh, which cut our, um, our revenue significantly in that part of our business um, to the tune of, you know, what we're projecting about $3 million um, for the course of the year. So we applied and, and just actually received our SBA number yesterday um, uh, for a two and a quarter million dollar um, payroll protection. Yeah, and then there's some other uh, additional assistance through Medicare, Medicaid, you know, that they're they're funding as well to help to help um,
0: organizations like ours. All right, let's, let's get into the meat of this thing because we really want to talk about, we're, we're trying to kind of give our clients and our listeners, anybody who's, who dares to listen to the podcast, sort of guidance on, you know, how do you plan for this, again, we'll call it reopening of the economy in Connecticut. So, and I want to start by asking you, when did you even, when did you begin your planning for this re- reopening of the economy in Connecticut?
1: So I, I started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and call some of my senior team members and, you know, just having casual conversations to think about um, what it, what does that look like? How would we, for instance, stage dining services? You know, we, we just don't flip a switch and say, okay, everyone, you know, you're, you go back to dining in, in these different venues that we have, mm. uh, because presumably we'll have social distancing requirements, we'll continue to wear face masks, that sort of thing. So we'll have to f- figure out you know, how to create perhaps a reservation system where we can only accommodate so many people at a given point in time. Um, Along with that, we have to consider how we bring our staff back. So um, in addition to having the staggered or alternating schedules and the teams, we also mandated single employer um, for for any of our staff who are working at other organizations with uh, potential risk of exposure. Because the, the folks we serve are, are, you know, average age is like 83. Um, and we know in Connecticut, I've been tracking it over the age of 70, one in three, or actually over the age of 80, one in three folks are, are, um, are dying from contracting the virus. The number is incredibly high. And so we're very careful as to who, whom we let into the building. So those staff who opted to work for another employer during this time still have their job here when this is over. So we have to figure out how to phase those folks back in as well.
0: Because you reduced hours and therefore a lot of people people might have gone out and because they're essential workers, they're they're delivering care for residential living, right? So they might have gone out and, and replaced that income somewhere else.
1: Well, yeah. So we actually didn't reduce our overall hours. What we did was mandate that any employee with a second or third job had has to choose. So those folks who had more hours at Yale, New Haven Hospital, for example, go there. Um, and we're holding their job for them. So we have the same amount of hours and we're just filling it with other part-time staff. In terms of thinking about this, right? So we have to think about staging the, um, we're calling it a reemergence plan, but uh, reentry is fine. Um, hmm. We have to think about, this for the, on the resident and, and uh, member side at home, as well as the, uh, employees. Um, and, and it's really interesting as we've been having the conversations, what, what's, what we're recognizing is, wait a minute, there are some things that we're learning through this process that will be very different, um, after we get back to routine operations. And, and so what are those things? What are we learning? Um, as opposed to, Having a defined sense of what normal looks like uh, post COVID nineteen and and sort of putting a staking ground and working toward that, um, where we'd rather more organically go through a design thinking process, learn from each stakeholder group what's wor- what's worked well, you know what is it that they've experienced that we might want to continue. Either something new or something that we're doing differently. For instance, our communications efforts have um, have just blossomed because we're you know we're keeping regular communication with all of our stakeholders in a way that we've never really you know done before. So there are things about that we'll want to continue.
0: Are- do you mean Mike? Do you mean frequency or the method of communication or both? Both.
1: Both. Yeah. Um, yeah, frequency for sure uh, to keep everyone updated because one of the things we, we, we're we keen on is to keep everyone feeling confident that, hey, we've got this, right? No matter what happens, how many cases we get here on campus, we'll be able, we're prepared and we can manage it and we can keep everyone safe. Um, so that takes a lot of ongoing communication and there's a level of transparency there that's required as well. To, um, to build that trust. And so we've learned a lot from that. We've learned a lot from um, our employee relations work, trying to keep morale up and, and addressing the, the, um, the fear and the, and the, of the uncertain, right? And, and so one of the things that, in that we, we want to learn, um, what's happened, how people are feeling about these things so that as we go forward, we're not simply working to what we, we have previously, but to something new
0: it was a couple of weeks ago you said that we I were going to start thinking about this. So who within your organization, did you kind of bring into the the strategy sessions and then what external or third-party partners or resources have you been utilizing as well? to plan for your re we'll call it reemergence. I like that. I'll, I'll go with your wording. So initially just,
1: and, and, and mind you, we haven't implemented any of this yet. We, we are, um, I, I, you know, because of the customers we serve, we'll be one of the last to, to fully, you know, engage in that reemergence. But um, uh, so initially it's really just our uh, folks on our management team, our, our senior managers and our, our department heads, our operators, our, our dining services manager, you know, those kinds of folks, right. We're, Mm -hmm. We're pulling them together and just having these conversations. What we've, um, decided that through our design thinking process, one of the first steps, if you're familiar with that process is really empathy and and to empathize with our stakeholder groups. So we're pulling in now through a series of probably WebEx or Zoom conference calls. We're gonna be pulling in um, our employees, our line staff. We're gonna be pulling in uh, residents themselves and members who are at home and perhaps family members to to engage them in conversations around very specific questions, things like, okay, what have you learned about yourself and the community through this experience? Um, What practices have we established that you would like to see continue? Um, And uh, what is it that you miss most about our pre-COVID experience, right? And so, you know, and we want to have those conversations now rather than after we're coming out of this so that we can... Start to define and and and, um, and even ideate around that new normal right so that we have a target, a destination that we can work work toward in terms of
0: how we reemerge I love that the idea that that question what what do you miss most about the pre covid nineteen experience um, because this is an opportunity to, to make sure that you keep doing the things that, are, that, that you were doing really well and that people really were appreciating and liking, but then, you know, make change that's going to probably ha- have you come out of this even stronger than, than before, right?
1: Yeah, that, that, that is our hope. Um, you know, one thing I've, I've been observing a lot uh, during this um, evolution, but one thing I've, that's really resonated with me is the resilience of these eight, you know, 83, 85, 90 year olds. Um, and, and I think it's driven partially out of fear because they are the most vulnerable. Um, but they're finding, I believe, um, uh, themselves to be able to handle change better than, than they previously thought they could. Um, you know, things, uh, things we were locked into in terms of process and program and so on um, that people were unwilling to mess with, right? Now, they are seeing uh, another side. And I think we, we owe it to ourselves to learn from that so that we can uh, be even more engaging and stop doing the things that I think were time fillers and time wasters and really get into um, engaging uh, our stakeholders differently than we have in the past.
0: Great message. We're never too old to, to change, never too old to be adaptable. Right.
1: Right. And yeah. In fact, in fact, um, you know, in, in the work of aging services, we look at coping with our aging. Right. We, we that's we study that all the time. And one of the keys to successful aging is uh, is being able to adapt to to whatever circumstances come our way, whether they're internal or external. And, mm. and I think we're finding that willingness and that ability to adapt um, through this process.
0: Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an ingredient um, of happiness as well, that, that adaptability and that ability to kind of deal effectively with the challenges that we're bound to encounter. And, you know, this is a big one.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, those same principles hold true for any organization, regardless yeah. of business or, or customer base.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I agree. I just want to kind of put put a a period on that previous question, though, about and specifically, were there external or, or other resources that you found or that were available to you that that you've been that you've been leveraging at least for this planning stage, or or no, or have you been kind of just doing it with your internal team? Yeah.
1: Um, well, I think. Uh, some family member feedback, which are sort of on the fringe of internal and external, right? Because um, uh, they're another stakeholder group. Uh, so they've been giving us feedback as well. And, and so we're using that. Um, mm-hmm. We have not yet engaged the, um, the municipality, um, which I think we, we, we will as we go through this process. And then our business partners, um, suppliers, for example, you know, um, we're, we're, <laughs> we're on the verge of running out of Purell, right? So, so those, those kinds of things, what do we learned about our, our inventory management and how and the relationships we have with our different uh, vendor partners? I think those all matter um, in terms of not only being able to uh, sort of plan for something like this in the future, but also how we reemerge and what those relationships should look like going forward so that we're all better off in our routine
0: operations. Uh, Mike, t- talk, talk about the process of building the reemergent strategy it, it, as, it relates, you know, as it relates to the fact that this is something you've never had to, as an organization, you personally, the people on your team and as a group, as a, as a team, you've never had to do this before. So how do you tackle... A, I'll call it a first-of-its-kind problem like that. Something you've, you've just never, maybe you never even imagined you, you, you would have to tackle this. I mean, what, what's yeah. step number one, really?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, you're right, you're right. We've never done this. I've never had to plan for anything like this. Um, however, that said, I, I do believe that all planning has some fundamental similarities, regardless of the, the circumstances. And so I mentioned the term design thinking um, that that is a that is a, a process by which you know we we go through a lot of learning, right? A lot of um, empathizing and and defining sort of the and redefining problem statements so that we we know what we're solving for, right? And it's and that's tested through our consumers or our customers' perspectives. And then the next step in that is to ideate, right? Is to is to engage those stakeholders group in the development of what this thing looks like on the other end. Um, and then prototyping, testing, and assessing, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very common uh, process. And I, and I mm-hmm. think if we can zoom out a little bit, break down um, the work that's necessary to, re- to successfully reemerge into these components, we can then start to parse and, and, and figure out how to, how to move through all of this. Um, and, and I think that's a standard approach. But it helps to frame the work that we have in terms of planning the reemergence.
0: It may, it may be standard, but I think it's it's helpful. Uh, you know, it's probably helpful to our listeners who some of whom might be thinking who just kind of need that pretty fairly basic, simple guidance, right? Because I think situations like this can sometimes paralyze people, and if you don't sort of break it down into into that, you know. All, it might sound kind of uh, intuitive, that sort of circle of, you know, define the problem ideate on, on solutions, you know, see how it's working and then kind of it's circular, isn't it? You have to keep on going through that and make it iterative that, but just kind of breaking it down and getting that advice, I think is going to be helpful for people. And I appreciate you willing to, to share this, you know, so, so we know, and, and maybe you don't know this now I and mean, clear you're, you're still figuring this out and, and you might not know everything. So we, we know what your operations look like and how things are working pre pandemic. Do you, do you have any kind of idea yet as well? How are they going to look differently? What's it going to look like once some of the, the restrictions are lifted?
1: Yeah. So um, you're right. It's, it's hard to envision kind of the specifics, right? Of mm-hmm. what operations will look like, however, I think I can envision some of the characteristics of the operation as they might, you know, go, going forward as compared to what we had. And some of those characteristics, I, I think, will be um, a much better partnership with our stakeholders. Um, you see, in this business, um, there's a lot of doing for, as opposed to doing with. And so when we, when we provide services, when we uh, provide care for our customers, It's really this relationship of provider to receiver. Um, And we talk about partnership, really, you know, planning together how those services look and how that that care is implemented. We practice it as as, um, well as we could. And going through this process, it's clear that um, better partnerships in terms of the business model, how we deliver services, what that service delivery model looks like, um, how we implement change, um, how we communicate—all you know—with our customers, our employees—I I think require more um, multidiscipline, multi-level groups, right? That have that represent the perspective of all aspects of our organization. So that's one characteristic that I think will be markedly different um, going forward. Is that is that relationship that we have in relationships with our stakeholder groups?
0: Right. I guess, you know, go we'll call it stakeholder engagement. Right. And, and walking that talk of, of partnership sounds like that that's going to be. So you might not know the details and of what operationally how things are going to work yet and because things are continuing to, to change. And we don't know what rules are going to be imposed by government um, for, for us to operate under. We just there's a lot of stuff we still don't know that's okay though, right? I mean, do we have to be okay with, with that sort of uncertainty?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think we do. And, and it goes back to resilience and adaptability, right? Mm. We have to be willing to sort of go with the, the flow in terms of what the boundaries are, you know, that, that are set as we go forward. For instance, yeah. I'm hearing a lot and being connected to the healthcare industry, you know, um, I'm hearing a lot about testing, and how it's going to be absolutely you know, uh, n- necessary for testing to be readily available and testing all staff and, and even our, our residents and so on. I'm not so sure that we're gonna depend on that g- bit of guidance. Because um, and, and the, real- the reality is that um, with a proper uh, personal protective equipment, right, we, we can prevent and we can limit the spread, we can contain it, um, effectively, and so if we continue that those protocols, then we, we can reemerge independently of that, you know, specific issue of te- of testing availability. Um, and so um, it, it is who knows what all of those um, uh, requirements are going to be, but I think we can operate independently, well within what we feel is a safe reemergence plan um, to continue to protect. Um, our Our stakeholders, um, but also hold true to our mission of excellence in senior living through engagement and fulfillment of everyone we serve you know residents members uh employees Th- that's really what frames this going forward for us
0: this so, um, engagement might be an over overused word these days, but I guess one 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 silver lining is that is that this crisis is maybe forcing us to really think about, to think about these things like engagement in a more serious way and not just say them, but, but, but actually, as I said before, start start walking the talk. Right. So, and and that leads me to the last question. I know you got to go, but, but if you could like, there must be other silver linings here. Like, has this, has this crisis forced you to rethink your business in, in a way that you are confident it's going to make it even more efficient? It's going to make it even stronger, more sustainable, uh, more, more crisis proof. Like what, what, what's the positive that's coming out of this?
1: I, I think the recognition that um, we have not quite um, leveraged engagement opportunities, um, you know, that, that we uh, we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right, we talk about engagement, that's part of our philosophy, that's who we are. However, um, we're afraid to go beyond the, the, you know, the tried and true, right? the, the tested methods of, of delivering services, and push our customers, push our staff, push ourselves to imagine what could be different, what could be better. We, we get so locked in by the form of how we currently operate you know, it that it drives function, and therefore expectations are are constrained. I, I think I, I the silver lining in, in this is the is the um, the opportunity to see uh, ourselves challenge one another, challenge ourselves, challenge our our customers and our employees to really uh, think beyond what constantly improve, rather than just get locked into you know things that we're comfortable with. That is a definite silver lining. I think more specifically, the use of technology and social engagement is, is for this age group is special. We're seeing it you know, at every age group, but for this age group especially, who has been somewhat um, uh, reluctant to adopt the, those technologies, we're doing a lot more t- toward helping those folks get engaged, get that technology, learn it. And we're also even pushing them to do it because the way we're releasing information Right requires that they engage in technology rather than us sort of coddling folks and say, well, they don't adopt technology as readily. So let's continue to provide paper. And, you know, so it's that that's a good example. I think of how we'll, we'll, we'll shift through the um, what we've learned through this process.
0: Great. Awesome. Uh, if I could just get one more minute, Mike, because we always like to conclude with, with uh, what we call rapid fire questions, just so everyone listening can get to know you a little bit better personally. Do, do you have literally 30 seconds? Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. C- cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band? Led Zeppelin. Nice. If you had one superpower, what would it be? It's a, it's a fly. Mm -hmm. If you weren't doing what you do now, Mike, what would you be doing?
1: I'd be uh, building houses for um, uh, disaster areas.
0: Finally, our theme at One Digital this year is being bold. So what does that mean to you, Mike? What does being bold mean to you?
1: Um, I think being bold uh, means exactly what we've been talking about, stepping out. Right. Uh, Stepping into the breach, challenging ourselves, being able to zoom out and look at ourselves, our behaviors, our patterns um, and challenging ourselves in terms of, you know, what what can we do better so that we can affect better outcomes and have and have just a, a, a better impact on the world around us.
0: Th- thanks again, Mike, for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, with us, everything everything that's going on. I know you're crazy busy, but you've really uh, helped our listeners uh, talking about your plans and telling us what the Whitney Center is doing as you think about reemergence. And, um, I I know that you're putting a a lot of work and effort into this and and a lot of our clients are, so very appreciative of that. And uh, everyone listening, thanks as always for tuning in. This has been another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. Stay safe and be well, everybody.